Friends, will you pray with me? Gracious and holy God, we enter into your presence with great expectations. May the meditations of our hearts and minds and the words of my mouth be acceptable in your sight. For you are our strength and our redeemer. Amen. So in a recent Pew Research poll, we discovered that 70% of Christians, people who call themselves Christians, believe that the church should be open to varying degrees. Some say with modifications, some say no, there should be no modification. And that's a good sign. 70% of Christians believe the church should be open for in-person worships. In that same poll, though, only 12% had actually gone to church. Wow, only 12% had actually gone to in-person church. Now, to be fair, if they had gone to church very regularly pre-COVID time, then during this time, once the church is opened again, it jumped up to 33% of those people. But still, that's one in three people who call themselves Christian have been to church since COVID broke out. Now, in a different poll, the Barna Group found, uh, took a poll on active Christians, people who define themselves as active, life-giving Christians. And they found out that one in three active Christians have dropped out altogether, have never even been to an online service. That's pretty scary, guys. Throughout this entire time, and for us, for some churches, it's been even longer, those who have been facing this pandemic for a longer time. But for us, that's 26 weeks, that's six months, that's half a year that people who call themselves active Christians have dropped off and not come to church in any form or fashion. It's hard to believe. It can be discouraging. And sometimes I hear even you, as you look around the sanctuary, say, I don't like the social distancing. It makes me feel like we're not all of us here. You know, we can get discouraged. We can ask, are we yet alive? Some of you have come and visited with me and said, what are we going to do? Is the church going to recover? How is this going to work? What will we look like when we get back to normal, whatever normal is? Perhaps because I've been, uh, it was on the schedule to preach from Ezekiel and the Dry Bone Valley, but it seems like this has an amazing message for those of us who might be discouraged during this time of re-engaging with our church community again. It's a, it's, a tie, it's a story that we've all heard before. Ezekiel stands on the edge of a valley and looks out onto this valley. And then God talks to Ezekiel, and, and gives them him an image about this parched, dry valley full of bones. So let me read from Ezekiel 37, verses 1 through 14. Listen now with new ears. Hear if God is talking to you in a new way in this familiar story. Ezekiel 37, 1 through 14, the valley of the dry bones. The hand of the Lord came upon me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. Ezekiel is talking here. He led me all around them. 
There were very many lying in the valley, and they were very dry. He said to me, Mortal, can these bones live? I answered, Oh God, you know. Then he said to me, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, O oh, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. I will lay sinews on you, and you will and cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. Ezekiel talking again. So I prophesied as I had been commanded. And as I prophesied, suddenly there was a noise, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. I looked, and there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and the skin had covered them, and they were, there was no breath in them. And then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophecy, mortal, and say to the breath, Say thus the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon those these slain, that they may live. I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived, and they stood on their feet a vast multitude. Then he said to me, Mortal, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They say our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are cut off completely. Therefore, prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, I am going to open your graves and bring you up out of your graves, O my people. And I will bring you back to the land of Israel, and you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from your graves, O oh my people. I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live, and I will place you on your own soil, and then you shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken and will act, says the Lord. This is the word of God for God's people. Thanks be to God. So Ezekiel feels the despair of the people as he looks out across this valley. It's hollow. It's, it's barren. There seems no life to be seen there. They long for God's presence. The people are longing for God's presence. They are in exile. They've been taken out of their land of Judah and taken into a foreign land and plumped down in this foreign place and they don't know where God is. They have lost hope. They wonder if even they can enter the land of the living ever again. And so God says to Ezekiel, what do you see? Ezekiel says, I don't see anything. I mean, there's nothing to be seen out there. And God says, Ezekiel, can these bones live again? 
And it's really interesting because the Hebrew word that, that uh, we translate as you know, when Ezekiel says, I don't know, but you know, is just that. It's almost a question. Oh, God, yeah, no, I believe that you can do anything, but there's nothing that I understand about this human life that says these dry bones can live again. While Ezekiel had no hope for these bones, at least he held out hope that God had something different in mind for them. Indeed, out of nothing, God creates. It's amazing. We are told in the Genesis story that God creates exilio, meaning out of nothing. And with God, there is always hope that comes from hopelessness. If we could ever live again, it would be under the power of God and the prophetic word. But what I found so interesting about this passage was what happened when Ezekiel began to prophesy. The first thing that happens is that he hears something. This rattling. This rattling of the bones coming back together again. The, ten, the tendons and the flesh attaching to the bones again. We don't know for sure, but we assume that they are ordered in the right order, that the bone that goes to one, the elbow bone, that goes to the wrist bone, that goes to the hand bones, are ordered correctly because we are told they eventually stand. And we know that when God restores things in right order, it is for wholeness again. They become fully assembled. And in that assembly, Ezekiel begins to watch it happen. He can see the tiniest detail, the littlest thing. He can see the tendons attached to the bones. He can see the flesh grow back again across the valley, across all the dry bones, like us watching the petals of a flower pop open he becomes observant in what God is doing with these bones. And yet, they're not animated. They're just bones and bodies with skin laying there. They're waiting for the very breath of God. That's the next thing I love about this passage. This, this notion of breath, we see it everywhere. God says to Ezekiel, prophesy to the breath. This Hebrew word is called ruah. You can almost hear breath in that word, ruah. It, it literally means air in motion. It, it is used in the Hebrew scriptures to describe the most gentlest bre uh, breeze in the trees all the way up to the howling of a great storm across the seas. It is used in, in the literature to describe a whisper or the passion of raging anger among God's people. It can mean a human spirit. A human spirit that is filled with emotional qualities like vigor and courage. It can be the part of the breath that we receive when we're born and we take our first breath and God breathes life into our lungs. 
It can mean the same breath that we exhale for the last time in our mortal days as God receives our spirit. But there is one thing about this word. Every time it is used, it implies and has within it the spirit of God that imparts that movement of air that breathes into us. That's what gives us life. That's what gives us wholeness and completely restoration when we feel so discouraged. It's the very breath of God. It is called Ruah. Ruah. So God says, mortal, here's my people. They're hurting. They feel dried up. They feel like their hope has been dashed, that they've been cut off emotionally from everything that they know. And therefore, I want you to give them life. This is how you give them life. You prophesy my word. My word to them is life. If we're going to be discouraged because the church doesn't look like it did pre-COVID days, then it is time to stop attending church and instead become the church, friends. That's what we've been talking about for the last four weeks. Worship plus two, a way that we engage our discipleship in life-giving, life-abounding ways. We might be asking, are we yet alive? But I want you to imagine with me for a moment what this would look like. Over the last four weeks, Ricky and I have been watching, and there's about 150 of us that either attend in live worship uh, services or online. About 150 of us. Now imagine if those 150 people each decided to take on the, dis- the disciplines of worship plus two. That means that they, each 150 of them would engage in worship each and every week. They would, in worship, listen, as Ezekiel did first, to the breath and the movement of God among us, even in this place that seems so disconnected at times. God still moves among us in the baptism of a baby. God still moves among us in the stories of faith that we share and the prayers that we share together. God moves among us in the songs that we sing. If 150 of us engage in worship, truly engage in worship and let God shape our interior and exterior Christian lives, imagine the life we would see. If 150 of us connected with a small group, a place where every single one of us has an opportunity to be known intimately and well by those who keep life together with us, who challenge us in our learning and our seeking and our questioning and our doubting, who hold us accountable, if 150 of us invited one other person to engage in that small group, then we would see God at work on the interior parts of our Christian lives to breathing God's ruha into our very souls. 
And if 150 of us commit to serve only once a week, 150 of us serve beyond these walls to take food to our neighbors who need to be fed, to serve in ways that go to nursing homes or pray for them or write cards or engage with people who are hurting in this world, to enact in acts of service, putting our faith to work in a world so that the Spirit of God that is in us might be seen by those who need the Spirit of God in their lives. If 150 of us did that, we would see how God shapes our exterior lives and forms us into a living witness in this community of Decatur, at Decatur, Texas. Imagine if 150 of us do this faithfully, intentionally, then we would not be a valley of dry bones again. We would not be dry. We would instead experience the very breath of God, the ruha, within us. We would live. We would stand. We would be a vast multitude. Can you hear it? I hope so because God can. Amen.